Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Mercedes Mercier writes just one more page, crime fiction, with twisting plots and relatable characters. As well as writing books, Mercedes works in the criminal justice system, providing her unique insight into the world of prisons, crime, and offenders. After a brush with death, Mercedes decided to throw herself into life. She's lived overseas, become a black belt in karate, skydived, and volunteered with animals. She's currently writing her second novel, which will be published in 2023. And when she doesn't have her nose in her laptop and her mind in a story, she loves to read, travel, try new restaurants, and listen to podcasts. True crime, of course. She dreams of living on a big property with a menagerie of animals, but currently lives in Adelaide with her partner and just the one dog. Nina D. Campbell is passionate about words and women's stories. She studied theater and literature at university, where she's held the position of women's officer alongside notable South Australian feminists, Natasha Stottespoia and Annabelle Crabb. As a professional writer for the Australian government, Nina wrote ministerial speeches, briefings, policy papers, and communications materials before a midlife health challenge reminded her that life was for living, not just earning a living. Having left the paid workforce, Nina now writes fiction full-time. Together with her partner Bruce and their spirited Jack Russell Terrier Molly, she lives nestled between a world-class wine region and the sparkling sea in South Australia. Nina's debut novel, Daughters of Eve, is described as an unputdownable feminist revenge thriller. It was included in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of books to look out for in 2022, and Marie Claire's top 10 reads upon its release. Ray Cairns is inspired by everyday people facing extraordinary circumstances. Her debut novel, The Good Mother, was shortlisted for Best Debut Crime Fiction in the 2021 Ned Kelly Awards and draws on her background mentoring disadvantaged youth, many of them children of the paramilitaries, such as the IRA and the UVF, in Northern Ireland during the final years of The Troubles. Ray has also co-managed a crisis refuge for street children, was program director for the Sydney Olympic Youth Camp, and holds a degree in performing arts. So welcome everyone, as I announced in the bios, we've got Nina and Ray and Mercedes here. Thank you all so much for coming on to the podcast today and being willing to be writers talking with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for bringing us in. Yeah, I'm really excited. One, because I have been a crime and thriller reader probably earlier than my parents would have wanted me to be. (laughs) And if we had a theme for today, it would be that, that each of you has written something more on the dark side, I would say, twists and turns. And what I'm really interested in, and maybe we can dive into this uh, with each of you a little bit, but would be 
the fact that you're women writing within a genre. I know there are a ton of women who write it, but it's exploring some areas that are generally a little bit taboo for women to go into, especially the dark stuff. How are you drawn to writing within the genre? And maybe when you're talking about that, you can talk a little bit about your most recent book. Oh, right. I think you should go first. You're alphabetically first. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. So my brain, unfortunately or fortunately, goes straight to the dark side when I write. (laughs) Even if I try and write something that's not, it's where my brain seems to go in scenes and in the story. And I think it's because I, I really, my writing is trying to understand why people do what they do. I'm trying to get into people's heads and make sense of things that don't necessarily make sense to me and actions that don't make sense and what would push me that far that I would do an act that I would currently say, oh, that's abhorrent or whatever. So I suppose it's exploring that but with a female lens. So I want to see like an ordinary person thrown into an extraordinary circumstance and, and see what will happen. Yeah. And it just always seems to have to go down that dark path. <laughs> so, so my current one is The Good Mother and it's a thriller and it's about a divorced Australian soccer mum of three who's keeping secrets from her family. She The story opens when her 16-year-old son tells her he's been selected to represent Australia at an international soccer camp in Ireland and she refuses to let him go which is surprising her ex-husband steps in and insists they allow their son to follow his dreams so he heads off but his arrival through the customs in Dublin triggers two men from Northern Ireland to hunt her down one's an obsessive policeman who believes she's keeping secrets from her time as an aid worker in 1990s Belfast during the Troubles and the other's an IRA executioner who threatens the lives of her children unless she does exactly as he says so she's caught an ordinary woman caught between two very powerful forces and I wanted to see what she'd do oh my god that mm. is so good it just reminded, it I, I traveled <laughs> in, through Ireland in the late 90s right uh, first through Northern Ireland and then through Southern Ireland so that was really evocative <laughs> way back when actually around that time I had an idea that was Stephen King and it was layered. So there was a Stephen Kingish part, but part of the blame was going to be on the IRA. Yeah. And I was probably influenced because of, of that. It was still fraught. Yeah. So how fascinating to look at it. I don't want to think about how many years ago that was. <laughs> but so I worked back in the time I've set those scenes. I was taking kids from the IRA and the UVF or the kids of the paramilitaries of those people away on camps together. So wow. um, I was exposed to a lot of stuff and, and got to meet a lot of people and I, I wanted to thread that through kind of the experience and the writing. So I got oh, to do that. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And this is your debut novel? Yes. Is that yes. right? I think it's the debut novel. Each of you are talking about your debut novel. Yes. I yes. love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, and diving into something dark, one thing that occurred to me, and maybe as each of you, Nina and Mercedes, talk about it, is I've met that many creative people, especially writers and women, especially once you become a mother, but I think it starts way before then. We have this tendency to be dark and to look at worst case scenario. I think we get, we don't share it because it's like, ah, why are you being so serious or why are you being so morose. You have to be light and airy and (laughs) fluffy all the time. But I have a really dark 
imagination. And I feel like some of it's to save myself. Like what if? I think, um, I think you're right. There's actually a friend of mine who's a psychologist did his PhD on why people's minds tend to catastrophize rather than to over-optimize. And, and he was talking about that notion of if you're running across the Serengeti, you don't want to stop and look at the sunset when there's a lion behind you. You want to be very <laughs> focused on the things which are dangers. And the difficulty in our world is that there are very few of those kind of life and death dangers that we actually have to fend off on a regular basis, possibly a few more in Australia where, you know, slithery things, everything wants to kill you. (laughs) But it is still, I think we're hardwired in a sense to look out for danger and to try and pre-plan our way of dealing with it. And I think you're right. I think there's a real, that draws us into the darkness. But also I think, so for me, I went into the dark places because it was 2017 it was me too movement and it was anger that propelled me so I was watching my social media feed fill up with all my friends talking about the things that had happened to them in their lives the people who I hadn't realized were carrying all of these traumas like rape and child abuse and you know and all of the workplace harassment and bullying and things that they'd experienced in their life and I looked back on my life and had to kind of look through a different lens with these wonderful young women coming up and saying well this is just all crap and we're not dealing with this anymore and I, I guess I had this sort of overwhelming anger and I needed to work out how to deal with it because speaking of taboos, you know, angry women, not allowed to go there. (laughs) So I sort of sat down and started working through it. And I think it is like the arc of my character, Amelia, who's a, a policewoman investigating a range of seemingly unconnected deaths, which actually turn out to be connected by a vigilante group of women killing men who have perpetrated crimes against women and gone unpunished. She, her arc goes from that sort of dark, angry through to finding a way to be in a more connected space with men and with her family and with herself because that anger has really stood between her and a really genuine experience of her life. So that arc for me was really important because I think that anger was getting in my way and I needed to process it. And like all writers, I can see everybody nodding. We process stuff on the page. That's where we think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially with fiction. And I think mm-hmm. it's okay. I mean, it's absolutely normal for anyone to start a project not knowing why. I love watching that aha moment after. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a blossoming, really. It's an unfolding because maybe you have one level of knowing why you did it afterward, but you're you're processing it within you so you can release mm. it. I think it's really similar too to those what ifs. And part of it is that preparedness. I find if we've gone to the dark side and we think about all the worst case scenario, then maybe if it happens, we'll be able to deal with it more. I've seen a lot of women under intense stress, including myself. And I'm not a ble- like you'd say, oh, well, if you like reading Stephen King and Dean Koontz and all of that, when you're really young, you'd love blood. No, I don't. But you think you're unprepared or unable to handle certain things. But in that moment, again, I think we're hardwired to be able to handle it. It's like we're trying on the stoic clothing. Mm. I'm not particularly stoic. However, if an accident happens in front of me, I can go into action. But I think that some of it is playing it out. 
in our mind beforehand. So processing it, yes, and practicing it. I was going to say, it's interesting though, because the they talk about the amygdala hijack, which is when you basically dump a whole lot of adrenaline into your system and adrenaline does really strange things to the way you think. So yeah, in car accidents and things like that, you can be very clear about what needs to be done. But any higher order thinking, Wrong. out the window. <laughs> yes, it's I just here. In, this is all I've got. Yes. That's right. I stepped into a, um, a situation where a, a woman was being abused verbally and threatened on the street in front of my house and my partner and I sort of stepped in and stood between her and the guy who was threatening her and sort of got her away and I was it was so weird like that was fine had that all under control no problem and then we tried to call the police and I sat there with my phone on lock and I hit OOO on my phone lock screen over and over again and went why isn't it working why isn't the phone working and she was doing the same thing and we were like our higher order thinking was completely out and it was my partner who turned around and looked at the phone (laughs) and I think because men drop adrenaline a lot quicker it goes in and goes out a lot quicker of their systems and he was able to say that's a lock screen (laughs) you're not calling anyone but thankfully somebody else on the street who had not chosen to go and actually stand between these two people had chosen to call the police. So the police actually arrived as we were trying to call them. Well, that's good. You weren't on your own. Ray, you were nodding a lot while Nina was talking. Do you have an experience like that? Northern Ireland, the entire experience. And when I was there, I was very calm and very together and handled all sorts of situations, handled guys coming to my door and putting me in a car because they thought I was favouring one side and and going along to a meeting. and, And just, I was, honestly, I was calm. I was like, I knew they weren't going to hurt me. I was okay. I knew it was a tactic and I just listened and I got dropped back. And even then I was okay because I was still, the entire time I was in Northern Ireland, it was a situation of, there was always an undercurrent of danger. Mm. It was when I got home, I absolutely fell apart when I got home, back to Australia. Wow. Yeah, wow. I couldn't get on a train. I couldn't get on a bus. I couldn't, I could barely socialise. I'm reasonably good now, but even if I hear a helicopter now, I still you know, flinch a bit. And so it's it's funny when you're there, I thought I was fine, 100%. Would have said, no, nah, no, I'm good. But, yeah, it was when I got back that I wow. fell apart. It's kind of it's when you say your body can, yeah. then it can dump the, the fear and the, yeah. Well, it just makes me think, like, now I know where yours came from. <laughs> I know where your story came from, Nina. How about you, Mercedes? What was it that prompted you? I love this too, talking to three debut novelists about the first one that was manifested and is out there on the the bookshelves for people to buy. So tell us a bit about yours. Well, I think I always knew that I wanted to write a crime novel set in a prison because I've worked for Corrections for the last eight years. And yeah, across that time, I've just heard so many (laughs) interesting stories on sort of both ends of the spectrum as well, from the really inspiring you know, engaging stories, heartwarming stories to the, you know, to the really awful, you know, sad, difficult stories that you sort of carry with you across your life. And so, yeah, I guess I knew that I always wanted to write a novel set in a prison. And similar to Ray, I've always just been so interested in, you know, trying to work out what makes people do the things that they do, what makes them tick, how is their brain different to wired differently, working differently, what experiences in the past, what trauma 
you know, everything that's sort of led to, I guess, in my my situation, someone committing an offence. So I think I've always just been so interested in that. And that's why I wrote my main character, Laura, as a prison psychologist. And I was just chatting to one of my friends one day who's a psychologist with corrections and she was just sort of explaining to me, you know, what she did in a in a day and what a work day was like. And I just thought it's so much responsibility sitting on these psychologists' shoulders that they have to assess this this inmate as whether they're suitable for release back to the community, whether they're going to reoffend, whether there's going to be another victim of crime, whether they're rehabilitated or not, whether they're telling the truth. Yeah, that's so, that's <laughs> yeah. so hard. Yeah. yeah. And so I just thought, what a huge, what a huge responsibility. And so I just, I thought I wanted to, in my story, I wanted to pit a really clever prison psychologist against, you know, an equally clever and manipulative inmate and sort of see how that, that power struggle unfolded. I have a, a, a sort of a detour for a second. Have you written anything else that feels like a detour and or you've got something already niggling away at your brain? You're in this very precious time period. You've written a novel. It was acquired. You've gone through the editing process. Now you're in promo and publicity. And let me tell you, each one of these things is not necessarily the thing that a writer thinks of. <laughs> and fair play. Don't. Don't think about it. Just do the writing first, but then you're there and likely a publisher may be saying, hey, what's next? If you have something next, does it feel like it makes the publisher's dreams come true, i.e. it's really easy or is it a departure? Like, do you think you need a break when you are delving into something dark? What does that look like for you? Well, I'm, ha- I'm happy to start if you'd like, because I recently last week handed in my second book into HarperCollins, which is a sequel to White Noise, so it's okay. delving straight back into that into that prison <laughs> world and straight back into the the same characters and same setting and everything okay. like that. But I th- I think for me because I work in the area as well and I have done for the last eight years, I've gotten really good at debriefing and decompressing mm. and coming home from a work day and you know tactics and techniques to sort of let that all let that all fall away and to have a have a clear a clear mind so i was i was quite comfortable diving straight back into into that world I think that's, yeah that's really important what about you ray do you have things set up yeah so i was lucky enough to get two book deals so i knew that i had that i was providing another one <laughs> mine are both standalones okay so it's it, it's a I guess a change of direction, but it's still, it's not, it's still totally a thriller. It's still an everyday person, but it's set in Sydney this time because I don't want to be the Australian that always writes about Northern Ireland. So yeah, it's, I don't know, it, writing's fun for me, even though I go to dark places and stuff, I suppose because it comes from that anger, really trying to figure out the psychology behind people. I don't get too disturbed about it. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. I was thinking, mm. especially over the lockdowns and things like that, if anything, I went into binging true crime, which that sounds like, why would you do that? But it felt easier to keep at a distance. And again, it was exploring the, the what ifs and just something about COVID, which felt out of control. And nobody really knew what was happening, especially if you're looking at historical things, right? Looking at true crime wasn't terribly troublesome and it more like a game. 
And you right. knew what the ending, like if it's historical, mm-hmm. you know the ending. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So even though there are these, you know, negative and, and horrific things, you can sort of put things in their place. You feel like you have a sense of what happened, even if you continue to dive in, which is that question. What about you, Nina? Do you, do you bookend something that's frustrating and or triggering. And again, anger is a little bit different than just looking at some really gruesome sort of behavior. So what have you done or do you do to sort of to come what comes next? Yeah, what comes Um, next for you? Well, I was going to say, it's interesting because I can't lean back on any past books or projects because I wrote previously, my unpublished works are all commercial women's fiction novels. So they're they are still fairly dark and they're looking at, so I tend to be more drawn to strong women in in situations that force them to face the ambivalence of life and to be challenged, to be ethically challenged in various different ways. So, so yeah, when I came to this book deal, it was actually in quite a traumatic part of my life. My family was going through quite an upheaval. And so I stuck with the one book deal. I didn't push for a second book. I was I wanted to have time to actually go to the next book. I just wasn't sure how much space I'd have on the other side of publication. And that turned out to be a really good thing because, yep, there was a lot of tumult and a lot of things happening. And I think I've only just now come to the point where I'm ready to start really writing. So I've been kind of doing a little bit here and there just to keep that world alive inside me. And because of the way the first book transformed a little under during the editing process, Mm. there are all of these extra bits of that story, which kind of I really want to get into and I really want to resolve. So I am actually writing another Amelia book to to really dive into what happened yeah what happened at the end of the last one and unpack it a bit more and again it's about that notion of how how we deal with the complex it's not really the politics but it's the sociological kind of situation that we find ourselves in as as we're going through this transformation as a culture from back in the sort of 50s and the 60s quite a patriarchal quite a women at home small lives small options men big big lives big options out in the world but not able to come into the home so that kind of dichotomy has been breaking down over time and I'm I'm really interested in that I'm really interested in unpacking how people move around in those spaces of uncertainty and and change and transition. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. And I've just sort of cleared the boards. When I come back from the the Bad Festival, which all three of us are going to be featuring at, I'm going to get very serious about not doing very much and just writing, just writing. diving into it. Yeah, I think there's no one mm. perfect path, great path, it's even with publishing, even with a publisher, someone you thought, oh, this is going to be the perfect way to go. I have ultimate faith that we find our way to the place that we need to go. But there are times we need a little bit more space to decide for ourselves mm. which direction we want to go to. Publishing is an industry and they have their want. And it's great if it's actually aligned with the writer and the creative. <laughs> I'm always going to support the writers. Ultimately, I think sometimes you just need to write what you need to write. I love the idea of having space and or if you feel like you're at the top of this wave, and you have more that needs to tumble out, you can do that. It's really interesting too, to think about for you, Mercedes, and you, Ray, two book deals 
but different, right? So one is following the same story and look, it's going to be filled with potential, right? You've set up the structure and I'm sure that even after that first novel as well, whatever you'd worked out, there would have been all sorts of other ways you could have gone with it that now you had the ability to take into a second novel. And for you, Ray, so you've got so many similarities the three of you, but these differences. So now you've taken another woman, <laughs> but not necessarily playing out the same sort of trauma. No, no, she's to trying. The side. To, she's trying to figure out belonging and her place in the world as a woman and how she fits in. And yeah, it, it's a very different angle. Yeah. Well, I like too that when you were talking, Nina, it reminded me of the general hero's journey. And each of you have taken that. You would have transformed in one way or another when you, from the time you started the first book to finishing writing it and then going through the edits, you're different. For you, Nina, when you were talking about just getting back to Amelia, I see not only are we invested in the character. So of course we're all like, yay, yay. I mean, if you had to write someone else, that's fine too. Same with both. Actually, I was like, yay, keep writing that one. Um, So you get it. But there are so many ways that even once we reach that transformation, there's something else. Ray, yours really sings that out to me where you're talking about a woman and I'm not going to just face the same transformation. I'm now in this new spot. Mm -hmm. They always talk about like a story arc as if it's a perfect rainbow like this. But for me, it's almost ascending. And sorry to those listening, I'm gesticulating (laughs) because I can't help myself. Um, (laughs) But it's not quite a full rainbow, right? You're going up the stairs. Yes, I've learned. Yes, I've transformed formed. And now I need to dive into something more. So you're either diving in deeper or facing this new challenge, right? And so talking about what you did, Ray, this new character, figuring out that sense of belonging and who she is. Well, first you have to transform the trauma of all of that political and all sorts of stuff before you can even get to who am I? You'd mentioned the the hero's journey before, and I thought it was interesting because there's now a whole new thought process that there's a hero's journey and a heroine's journey and they're quite different so the hero is about doing it on his own dropping away and proving him on his own whereas women the heroine tends to be a lesson about gathering people around her and bringing people in and I think that's a really interesting idea because I think we've got a lot more female crime writers Mm. coming into the fore particularly in Australia it's just phenomenal at the moment when you go to the (laughs) bookshelves and just go yes please yes please yes please (laughs) but I think that that's part of it I think as women have more of a voice the way in which we look at the world sometimes different I'm generalizing obviously but I think that's perhaps being valued a bit more yeah I think in in Mm. viewing writers it feels to me so when people talk about writing a trilogy for example we'll look at YA um, or Hunger Games and I'm certainly not an expert because I think I watched one and a half but Working with writers and helping them in getting their first idea down, what I found is a first book tends to be their personal transformation. And when you watch it manifest on screen or something like that, you see the individual in Hunger Games, it was Katniss. First, she's she's still got, as the heroine, she's still got her people and her family in particular in her mind, but she has to make the transformation for Mm, herself because before that, she's never put herself forward. The second book is more like a little bit wider community. Mm. And then a third book is generally world changing. And you see it a lot in dystopian. But what struck me and what strikes me about that hero versus heroine's journey is women understand that it only ever happens really with the other people 
and thinking of the other people. Yes, I must change, but why am I changing? And I think that's the heroine's journey. And that's the difference. Men are doing it and maybe they just don't recognize because they're not looking. Maybe. Then maybe they're built like that. I don't know. But I, I love that because I think too, we live in a world. I love that you're calling out that you're so excited that there are so many other females writing mm. thrillers and fiction because... I think that we have a harder time without having community. It feels very me focused and women struggle still to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But when we do, because it's masculine, right? We're living in this masculine world of do, 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 but women naturally are B, B, B. And yet we also create literally life. So whether you do it with a human or you do it with a book, you're creating things that can change the world. These stories can be that thing that sparks somebody else. That makes me think who, when you think back to who you love to read, and if you were doing a writer's talking again, who would you like to talk to? Dervla McTurnan. I love her books. They are just the arc of the ruin. The three books were absolutely amazing. They, I think, were world-changing for me, reading those. Solari Gentle, I love her. I got to talk to her about it the other day. It was just so, I was so fangirly, but it was so smart. And what she does with stories, just so clever and weaving Mm. history. And Yeah, sorry, didn't mean to jump in. Oh, my gosh, that was who I was going to say. Original too. She's just so, yeah. Yeah, she is. She's astounding. I Because I asked her to do one of my cover quotes, I was really cheeky and asked her to go to lunch with me when she was in Canberra at the same time as me the other day. And it was just amazing. She is just on the, the list of 10 people that you would invite to, to dinner. She's always right up there at the top. She's just amazing. And she's generous and she yes. pays it forward to other writers and she's amazing. Yeah. She's yeah. very lucky to have her in the writing community in Australia. We um, are. She's wonderful. Mercedes? I, I really love Candace Fox as well. Oh, yes. Who yes. <laughs> <It> doesn't? <laughs> really incredibly generous writers. And um, yep. during lockdown, you're probably aware she did this thing called the Write Club. I think it was on Facebook. It was a Facebook Live every maybe Thursday morning for a couple of hours. So for the first hour, we all sat and wrote. We with her and she had a camera on her and she was just writing for an hour and for the next hour she just answered questions any and all questions about the, the craft of writing and getting published and her journey and you could send questions in in advance and yeah, I did that with I did that too and I miss it like it was oh, a really sense of community at a time when we didn't have a lot of that wow I missed it and I'm just I'm yeah. just so envious <laughs> now I'm sitting here going that would have been incredible yeah. and I think his writing can be such a you know it is such a solitary thing that sitting and having people writing knowing that people were writing at the same time yeah. and being able to you know look on the camera and see Candace writing it just felt so lovely and it took away like a little bit of that solitary sort of feeling that, that you can I think community is really big I mean Nina knows that I believe that I am always a glass definitely half full sort of person so even though there were all of those challenges during COVID and lockdown, I see that it actually broke down a lot of barriers. I've known for years that the writing community is incredibly generous mm-hmm. and your dream writer is actually probably closer than you think. They needn't be those Hollywood or whatever, so many steps far removed. They're just there. 
they're just like you. But that act of generosity, especially during COVID, because we can use Zoom, has meant that you can see yourself maybe in the writerly world. I love that two of you at least did that and got that great feeling because do you think it got you to finish your books? Were you going to finish it anyway? I mean, I'm going to assume you would anyway. Any writer who can finish it, that's amazing. And if you can stick to it, you're going to do it. But that extra energy around you. Yes. And I was actually editing at the time and I find sort of self-editing that first, you know, editing the first draft and going back and I can do all the nitty gritty. I can do all the, you know, the spell check and the grammar and the flow and that kind of stuff. But I find it hard to to zoom out and and look at the story as a whole and sort of work out, all right, where's it slowing down a bit? Where's it got the soggy middle? And so I sent her some questions about editing and asked about her process and the stages that she took and the steps that she took and asked her to sort of break it down. And she ended up filming a whole separate video going into detail, every step that she takes with editing. And that helped me incredibly. So are they still available, those videos? Yes, they're still on her Facebook page because oh. I went back to rewatch it. I was going to say, you like, should I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you should send it to Ange and she can put it on the video. So people who on the... Yeah, podcast. I would love to put a link so that those who want to... To, I think yeah. that's it. Some of this, this feeling still is, and some of the reason for doing this podcast at all, honestly, is to show people who, number one, we want them out there reading your book, but number two, to show that there's this incredible community of writers. Mm -hmm. And if they want to be one, they can be one. And here's what writing looks like, not just one way. Yeah. So if you think, oh, writing looks like James Kahn in Misery. Um, no, it not. doesn't. <laughs> Definitely no. And I'm sure Kathy Bates is really, really lovely. But it doesn't need to be a cabin. There was also a Humans of New York where there was an old fella and he was saying, oh, he'd been building his writing cabin for years. Like, mate, life is short. And, but he had, he'd built the cabin but now he's waiting for the time to go there oh. some people do sit and write straight I don't know a lot of women who have that ability but again I think Danielle Steele said she wrote 23 hours a day or something oh. I'm not really yeah well look <laughs> she must have one amazing support team right but even I keep wishing I had a double of me that could <laughs> run around and do the stuff right. that needs doing <laughs> but recognizing and and getting to have these conversations. So this is a good little segue for me too, with each of you. What does writing look like when you are in the creative process, not in the buildup that is like, I might be ruminating and my writing is actually walking around and hearing snippets of conversations and things like that or note-taking. When you are sitting down at a desk and typing out, what does it look like? Is it large numbers of hours per day? Is it, what does that look like for each of you? I was going to say, for me, it's, it's a process that takes time and it kind of is a, it is a bit of a ramp up. So when I first start writing, I'll write, I'll sort of sit for a couple of hours and, and maybe only write a few words because I'm still kind of building that world and walking back into it. So one of the reasons I didn't write a lot while I was doing the promotion was I was going through this sort of process of sitting outside my book and talking about it as if it was not, you know, this world I lived inside, which was really, really challenging for me. And it made it hard for me to get back into the story in the same way. So I've had sort of enough weeks of not promoting it now to be able to get back into 
being connected to Amelia in that kind of umbilical cord way that I am when I write her, but it will start sort of slow and then it will build up momentum. So I'll do maybe a couple hundred words a day. And then when I finish, I can sometimes do, some days I think I wrote 7,000 words in a day, which was, and, and it was just like, you know, food, no, don't need it. No, you know, go get yourself fish and chips or something. I'm not doing that today because I was just so lost in that world. It became so much bigger than the world that I lived in and so much more real to me. So for me, it's that kind of scale of starting small and gathering pace until that world is where I live. Wow. What about you, Ray? I found book one and book two very different. I don't know if that's partially because they're two different stories, like as standalone stories, but also between writing Good Mother and the next one, I got a a rheumatoid arthritis. So I've had to figure out a way to manage writing differently. So I hand wrote the first book and then typed it up. And I find that connection between hand and brain. Well, it was how I used to be creative and I can't do that anymore. And then even typing sometimes I can't do. So I will... I've learned, I've had to teach myself to speak out the story. And it's so some of, so you can't do it. I couldn't do it on a second draft. It's the first draft kind of creativity stuff. But I really had to find that voice, like a different way of approaching things and a different, like connecting different things in my brain. So that took a while for me with this book to just kind of that process. And also, like, so with Good Mother, I sat down and I could just do this. Four or five thousand words. I I could do that. It just would pour out, and I could sit for hours and do it. And I can't do that now. So, although talking the story out actually happens quite fast once you get onto, you get the hang of it. I guess is is what I'm saying. But yeah, this one's probably just been a bit bit tougher at the beginning figuring it out. But now dying to know, which is the new book, is yeah, it's different, but it's it's been a fun process in a different way and it's kind of working out how my health can manage being a writer I guess wow I love that and like we could go into a whole neurological sort of part of that conversation because sometimes people use that as a form of editing right we've heard that advice once you get to a certain point please read your work aloud because Mm -hmm. there are things you pick up that you don't pick up like overuse of certain words or whatever it is but I love to hear about that resilience right it's not working for me and all sorts of things could happen in our lives that force us to do it differently Mm -hmm. another time it will be fascinating for me just to read the stories next to each other and see how differently they feel I would bet that the transformation will feel different not just because they're two separate stories two different protagonists but the way that you had to approach it was different So the way that you would have showed up was different, right? It would have been totally unique to what's the new character's name? Geneva. So she would just have a very different feel, but well done you for figuring out and not that masculine push through, just get over it and get it done, but more I love this. Yeah. How can I do it even though all of these things aren't going to work for me? Yeah. And I had to make that decision. Do I want to be a writer? Is that what I want to do? How can I make it work? You know, and I'm lucky that my publisher has really had my back on it and been very supportive. They'll still come out a year apart, which I still can't quite believe. (laughs) I wasn't sure that was going to happen, but yeah, they've been my um, HarperCollins have been incredible. Roberta, who yes. I, I had the same. Oh, okay. Publishing editor. Yeah. So yes, she's I'm just wonderful. She is amazing. Yeah, I will agree with that. And what about you, Mercedes? What is your writerly I, process 
podcasts look like? I'm a very rigid structure and routine driven person. So I have to sit down at the same time every day, write the same amount of words every day for the same amount of days per week. And that's what I guess, that's how I feel feel comfortable writing. And that's how I, that's just what works for me, I, I think, because I work full time. And so I have to sort of fit writing in amongst that. And I know my brain works best first thing in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, so I'll get up at 5 a.m. during the week, five days a week. I'll write 1,200 words and that's it. And then I'm So, done. do you stop dead on 1,200? <laughs> I will finish the sentence, but I won't necessarily finish the scene, finish the chapter, finish wow. the paragraph. And I actually find sometimes that that is, is more helpful because the next day I'll come in and I'll be in the middle of the scene mm. and I can just plunge straight into it. And that sort of sets up the flow for the rest of the the writing session. That's amazing. Um, Especially that. And I love how it sort of lends itself to, as you'd said, a a lot of writers can get stuck saying, oh, I'm not sure where, and I'm a proponent of move forward. So don't go back and reread the whole thing. But we often can say just at least maybe read the last couple of sentences so you know where you're at. But if you've left off there, isn't that amazing? It feels like this beautiful, magical compartmentalization, like here's this time and it just stays in stasis while you go and do the rest. But isn't it a beautiful sort of reflection of how a writer can have a full-time job and come back and do the writing? I suppose it might depend on what it is you're writing and all of those other things. And life circumstances and all Right. But also like a sense of, talked about this in separate groups, but a sense of obsession, Mm -hmm. right? So you will have been driven for years before you'd gotten that first book done. And then once you get into that flow and it sounds amazing to know this is what works for me right now until or unless it doesn't exactly and then (laughs) then you change it then you have to adapt (laughs) right but I think also seeing all of these different ways of doing it gives people permission even yourself permission it isn't right or wrong it's just what's working for me right now yeah I think that's exactly the big right. right now and that right. and, and it can be different. Yes. You know, where where you are in your life, each book can be different. I've spoken to people who've said every book is so different to them. So the process and stuff and just being open to that, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I think so. And remembering what it was like and even this conversation <laughs> so that <laughs> if things change, you can say, look, but this happens. And I guess that's why one of the reasons to demystify some of this, I will always say it is my Magical. Writing is magical. That ability to be so creative and get that out of you and onto a page is amazing. And it's flexible. All of you have shown that. You haven't all come to it the same way. You don't do it the same way. You haven't even done it the same way for each of the projects that you've done yourself. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I love it. Is there any last advice you would give to somebody who is starting out writing or even thinking back to yourself a few years ago, something that you'd say, this is the thing I want you to remember. So for me, it would be really embrace feedback. Make sure it's coming from a, a knowledgeable place, so like who's giving it to you. But I think it's very easy when you first start writing to kind of, oh, but but the character's thinking this and that and whatever. I, I kind of did a little bit of that when I first wrote Good Mother. And then I realised that if the person reading it doesn't know that, 
my job is to answer those questions. So I don't have to do it the way in which they think or whatever. And it's actually, once you kind of get that mindset, it's not as hard as it feels. Sometimes it's a sentence, sometimes it's a word. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to rewrite the whole thing. But embracing it and actually being excited by feedback mm. really helped me approach my work, like the editing part of the work in a different way. I love that advice. And I think yeah. I was thinking very similar that every time that you get a piece of, you know, editing feedback, just sort of switching that mindset to this is only making my strong my story yeah. stronger and better, you know, for the reader when it when it eventually, you know, does come out. Also, I think having writing community around you, like joining a writer's group, you know, whether yeah. it's meeting in person or, you know, just, you know, online every month. I just I think it's so important. You've got these people by your side to go through all the all the rejections <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that are probably in- inevitable for most for most authors. And then you know the eventual success hopefully or just chatting and having that support because yeah like I said it is quite a, a solitary process writing and editing a novel. So it is really important for me anyway I thought to to have that support of other writers. I think that's amazing advice. Mm-hmm. What about you? I know. For me, it's actually something that that you taught me in the Writers Flow community, and that is, I think, when I first started writing, and I think for a lot of writers, we start writing with the intention that what we really, really, really want to be is published, and decoupling publication from writing and making them two completely separate things really set me free. Because as a writer, I fell in love with writing, and then I became so almost caged by the notion that I had to write something that would be published, otherwise it wasn't a valuable thing. And when you taught me to take that away and to just enjoy the actual flow of writing and the process of writing, I just fell in love with it all over again. And it totally changed the way I write, the way I feel about my writing. And through this process of now being a published writer, one of the mind monkeys that I've had to actually wrestle to the ground was, it doesn't matter if the next book doesn't get picked up. I don't care. I'm writing the book I want to write because I love writing. And it's very hard to say that to somebody who hasn't crossed that threshold yet to become a published author. It doesn't matter. It's a different thing. And it will happen when it's time, you know, in its own time. But even if it never happens, fall in love with writing because writing is valuable for what it does for you. And, you know, even if the only people who read the books that you write other people around you, it doesn't matter. That that still makes them valuable, just even in the process of writing them. It's so heartening to hear that. I think too, and this is what I would have shared with everyone, is that it actually makes your writing better when you release the other, because mm-hmm. creativity is all about finding opportunities and flow and following the character. And if you are thinking too much over here, it's, it feels like a very left brain, right brain thing. Mm-hmm. You're getting in your own way right before you get to it you can only express those really creative answers or vulnerable answers or dark places because we're talking about crime and thriller if you're worried too much about publishing i had a great story from a publisher who they acquired the story but she said when she was reading it the author was leading her up this path and she loved it and then the author took a right hand turn now this happens in publishing she ended up taking the story because she loved it enough and she knew if i take this i'm going to get the author to do the thing she should have done. But she went into it with a question. Oh, hey, I thought it was going here, but it went here. And she said, well, it was, but... 
I thought that would be too dark. So I went this other way. So they fixed it back to the way that the writer had originally imagined it. And that's what I would wish all writers knew as well, to release the attachment to what it will actually do. Because by the way, we don't have control over that. It actually has nothing to do with how amazing the story is. We've got lots and lots of proof of that, like how many rejections different books got that are now classics, right? And you think- My book my book right? was self-published. <laughs> oh, self-published it in 2020. It was shortlisted for an award, got picked up by, but it had been out in the market for five years and didn't get picked up. And it was timing and it's the same book. I mean, I've done some, uh, some edits, but nothing huge. Right. And it's just, I think that you, as a, even if your goal is to be traditionally published, it, it is about timing. It's about the right editor being there it's about I don't know it It is is. part of its magic it is it is lightning strike yeah the stars need to align and totally totally and I think it's important that people understand that that even when you get a rejection it doesn't necessarily mean that like you said that it's not a good story it just might not be the right one for that person or maybe it's not that time Well, and it's, again, it's a business for them. So we have to take that. It's a Don Miguel Ruiz four agreements, like don't take it personally. And this is really true. Number one, writing and whether you think it's great or not is subjective. And number two, you have no idea what's going on. So publishing is an industry and then they have certain companies with people looking at the numbers. And then you have individuals there who have their own dynamic. I just think about all of those moving parts and the goal certainly as my role as an agent was always to try to match up the people, but ultimately no control over that. And you're just looking for this person needed this message on this day. And to be honest, that's part of the magic you want with a reader anyway. So that starts with you, the writer, writing the story you want. So that old saying of, you know, write the story that you want to read. Yeah. Start there. And I love that story that you've got, Ray. That's exactly what I want people to hear. It used to, I would say, oh, it's rare. Except, I mean, yes, but also there are quite a few of those stories now. It's not as rare as it used to be. And it starts with the writer having faith. If it goes this long, people used to ask me, what's the best way to go? Should I go traditional or self-publishing? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe try a bit of one. And if it takes too long or you just too fatigued, publish it yourself. You know, we've got technology on our side now, right? Yeah. What amazing advice from each of you as well. I hope that the people listening got to get their own ahas and support and go on number one, go check out the notes, click any links, go read these books, please. They're amazing. We're going to start this tidal wave of not only women writing crime and thriller and psychological thriller and suspense and all of that stuff, getting into those nitty gritty dark details but also the readers. And I don't think we've ever lost them, but it's just about them finding these new voices that maybe sound a little bit like the voices inside their own head, which Mm. can feel really good. Like, ah, it's not so far from me. She sounds like me. I appreciate all of you for coming on here and I can't wait to maybe chat to you after your next books come out (laughs) and maybe seeing you on a future episode with one of your favorite writers as well. So we do more writers talking, you talking to the writers that you really admire and seeing what we can get out of that. I hope you have a beautiful weekend. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Bye guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. 
Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.